0: Thanks for being here tonight. My name is Kevin Conover and you're listening to Educate for Life Radio. We broadcast down here locally in Southern California, KPRZ, 1210 AM, also on FM 106.1 in North County. And then of course, we're all over the uh, internet, podcast, all that good stuff. Um, we've had some fantastic guests recently. Uh, and uh, my guest this evening is Dr. Dan Biddle. He's the president of Genesis Apologetics. He's authored nine books and several articles on these topics. He's produced two films so far, far on Genesis, and a third film is coming out on Noah's Flood. And uh, his, his website is an incredible resource. If you're interested in this sort of uh, topic, if it's the kind of stuff that interests you and, and you want to share with others... Um, It's a great resource, genesisapologetics.com. He's got over a hundred videos that answers tons of different questions that people have about Genesis. And there are a lot of people asking questions about this subject matter. So it's a great opportunity. He also has training as a behavioral scientist. He has a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, 20 years experience in expert witness consulting, state and federal cases involving scientific research methods, statistics, and psychometrics. And don't hold this against him. He also lives in California. Um I know that a lot of people have uh think that everybody in California is uh you know going off the edge, but this is not true. There's still some people here in California that think clearly. So Dan, thanks a lot for being here on the program today.
1: Thanks for having me today. This will be fun.
0: Absolutely. And um you've actually before we get too far into this on March 4th, you have a conference at Jessup University along with ICR. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, we're partnering with ICR and David Reeves. So we're gonna have the president of ICR come out, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Randy Galuza He's a, a great debater, uh, excellent on, on creation uh, related topics, and an expert on the ideas surrounding natural selection um, versus the whole idea of continuous environmental tracking. So there's, there's debates raging these days regarding whether um, the changes or adaptations that happen to animals are intrinsic to the animal itself. In other words, could the animal read its own environment and make changes that it passes on in its own lifetime and in future generations? Or are all the changes environmental or they external to the animal? He's a real good expert on that, studied up on these, stirring the pot in the creation community in a lot of ways. And then of course, David Reeves has done a lot on TV and and otherwise he'll be there. And we're gonna be there for for six hours on a Saturday at William Jessup University. Uh, The president of the university is also gonna speak and uh, we're just going to, it's going to be a creation throwdown. We're going to have all kinds of uh, data and presentations. We're going to have a kids program this year. So if you've got a first to fifth grader, there's a kids program track. I think we can take up to 80 kids that day. Uh, And Dave Bisbee, our VP is filling that kids program up fast. And, but I'm excited to be here and we're excited for the, uh, for the conference.
0: That's fantastic. Well, um, you know, Obviously, there's there's been a lot of controversy over the dinosaur issue. Um, you know, I'm, we're actually talking about this in my class right now with my 12th grade students, and um, you know, one of the big issues that's come up is that there's been soft tissue found. You know, I think the real huge one that popped up was the one with Mary Schweitzer in 2005, um, when they found soft tissue in the T-Rex bone. And uh, she was uh, kind of lambasted for that everybody said no you you've you've uh you've contaminated uh the data you've contaminated your specimens and these sorts of things and um a lot of people were actually pretty angry at her and she's an evolutionist and she said look it, I'm just I'm just giving the facts here I'm given what I what I found and um so that became very controversial there was, there was a lot of people I actually had quite a few discussions with people just um, you know, on the fly, uh, about this. And, um, and the, the, the claim there, as you know, is that if you have fine soft tissue in a dinosaur bone, then the dinosaur can't possibly be be millions of years old because soft tissue can't last that long. Um, have you had, uh, has this been something that's come up in in your discussions and in your teaching a lot or, um, you know,
1: absolutely. Let let me take it one step further. I would say the, the battle is over. Uh, we won, Uh, It's probably five or 10 years old and cold in the past now. Uh, It's a quite obvious fact and winter evidence for creationists that the dinosaur soft tissue exists. The case is closed. They have no more rescuing devices, no more remedies. Uh, It's out there. It's been scientifically established. And if you were to rewind the clock just 50 years ago and line up a thousand paleontologists and ask them, is there even a remote chance that some of these bones could still have bioorganic material? All thousand know, one thousand pale- paleontologists would have said, ironclad, no, there's not a chance. There's no way it could happen, and that's why. Mary Schweitzer, when she discovered it in 2005 and following or published it at that time, she was met with such great resistance that her, the peer reviewers of her articles would push back and Mary would give them data after data, after evidence after evidence. And finally, one of the reviewers, she asked one of the reviewers, what type of evidence could I give you that would convince you that I'm really finding soft bioorganic materials in these bones? And the reviewers said back, nothing. And that's because they couldn't be convinced or unconvincible. Um, but since the 1950s, there have been 58 peer reviewed science journals that have established not one, not two, not 10, not 12, but 16 different types of bioorganic materials that are found in dinosaur bones. And the latest two are cartilage and nerve cells. So we are well, well past a victory in this area. Now we just have to get the word out because there's no way that in, in in the scientific world, that dinosaur bones are, are millions of years old. It's just impossible. They're only about 4,400 years old from the flood.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Um, You know, and so this is also interesting. um, You know, you, you wrote that, uh, or my understanding is that in 2011 is what, when you finally made a decision about your view on, you know, how old the Earth is and whether the biblical uh, record is historical, whether it's metaphorical. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What what caused you to decide um, this is actual uh, history?
1: Yeah, I guess it was about uh, 12 years ago now. So I was uh, saved when I was 11, uh, fell away from Christ until I was about 17, came back, and I've been lockstep with the Lord ever since, went through graduate school, got my PhD, and was world-saturated, as world-saturated as you can be, but I was still uh, Holy Ghost filled Christian believed in the authority of scripture but like many Christians up until that time about 11 years ago I was undeclared on origins I'm like well earth can be old earth can be young it really doesn't matter what's the big deal that was my my stance and when my kids at that point were asking me and they were going through public school they were like hey dad tell me about smilodon what about saber cat what about the mastodons what about the ice age i would say well honey if, if the earth is old here's your answer and if the earth is young well here's your answer and they saw a dad just speaking out of both sides of his mouth then I went to a presentation, uh, it must have been 11 or 12 years ago now, about a man walk with dinosaurs. And I thought the guy was crazy. I just couldn't believe they let him into my church. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? We all know that dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. How, how could they let this heretic speak in the church today? And as you know, I'm an evidence guy. I has been a You know, a lot of time, maybe thousands of hours in in courtrooms and doing testimony and working on court cases. And so I know how to weigh and sift evidence. It's a skill I've developed over over my life. And about halfway into this guy's talk, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy has a case. He has a strong case and he has a theological case and he has a scientific case. And it's so rocked my world that I took the next 90 days and I pulled a hiatus and I flew to Canada, I flew to Montana. I did firsthand dinosaur research. I spent thousands of dollars and bought every book and DVD I could get my hand on from secular scientists, as well as the creation community about dinosaurs because I had to figure it out. And, and while it was in about a 90 day journey of mine, about halfway through that process, I pushed my computer screen aside and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all true. This whole dinosaur walk with man thing is true and I've been duped and I went through a period of repentance and humility because I used to view young, you know, young earthers as those, as those sweet little homeschool kids over there that just don't know any better, you know, the the (laughs) fundamentalists, you you know. And I thought, oh, I'm an educated Christian, you know, and but boy, did the tables get turned on me when you find yourself standing in for 14 miles worth of dead dinosaurs in Canada. As far as your eye can see dead dinosaurs that are buried with mammals and fish and birds and clams and oysters, and they're in these hoodoos and they're buried underneath 50 feet of mud plus and you think there's no other way but a worldwide flood. How much higher did the water have to be to cover these things with silt and mud? And then you look at the volcanism and the ash, and it just became crystal clear to me that I repented, turned around, and it was like for me being born again, again, when my head joined my heart in my faith, that mm. 18-inch separation here, and, uh, and I humbled myself under God's word and rewrote my paradigm, rewrote my history, and rewrote what I thought about God's word
0: that's fantastic I love that um and, and it's true right I, I just feel like all the puzzle pieces just fall into place once you can see this and uh it's just uh yeah. r- really encouraging um to see that yeah. happen and I I see all the time people's faith just lights up when that happens well um you've got a bunch of slides here that you can share with our viewers and I think that's yeah. really awesome um I want to give uh an opportunity to go through these and uh, for those of you listening, um we'll do our best to make this available to you if you if you you're listening and you you don't get to see all this cool stuff then um you can always check us out on youtube too and check it out there so um Great. uh dan uh pick us up here with the the slides you've got here
1: okay that that sounds good and how long do you are you going to give me today i know i can go for a long time we've got a ton of slides some i can skip but how long How how much time are you going to give me
0: I uh, typically um, we go for about 45 minutes, but um, okay. Okay. You know, maybe We should be um, able to do that. Okay.
1: When when the time starts getting uh, getting towards uh, 6 p.m. my time, I'll start slowing down. How's that? Okay. <laughs> that Sounds good. <laughs> okay, great. We'll go ahead and click off here. Before we get started, just a, a little a quick talk about root and fruit. Um, I believe as a Christian, giving the, the testimony that I just gave that That your roots as a Christian really do need to go back to what the Jewish people call Bereshit, the book of Genesis, all the way back. And, And the more you resist a literal understanding of that book, it's my opinion that the more shriveled and faithless your life is going to be, because if you don't have a, a true understanding that God's word is true and authoritative when it when it speaks about things of worldview and history and the pyramids and the whole picture your paradigm, your worldview is going to be full of mixture. And that's the camp that I lived in until about a decade ago, until the Lord gave me the favor and opened up my eyes to see the truth of a young earth history and the six days of creation and dinosaurs walk with man and all that. And it's since that time that my faith and my Christian walk has been more intentional, more on purpose, because I know God's not playing. He did what he said and said what he did. And I can rely on it. The whole Bible inerrant cover to cover and take it to the bank. And I believe personally that it's that root system that I've developed that has produced the fruit system that's in my life. So I just Mm -hmm. want to encourage believers today that there is a connection between how deep your roots grow and how fruitful your tree of, uh, you know, of your faith produce is going to be. So with that, let's go ahead and get started here. Um, Just a little bit about our ministry. We do produce a lot of movies. Uh, We've got the names of some of them there. They're available on Amazon Prime, or you can just go to our website and view them free. Uh, We have about, I think it's 134,000 subscribers on our YouTube channels. We're pushing about 12.8 million views right now, and it's growing and growing. I think we have about 350,000 views uh, last month. Uh, We do a lot of speaking in local Christian schools at the college and K-12 level. We give local church presentations and we have our annual conference there. You can just go to G1 Conference if you live in California. We'd love to have you. This year it's going to be at William Jessup. These are our primary two offerings. Uh, we have a program for fifth to 10th graders called debunkevolution.com, where we take the leading, let's, let's say the top 10 pillars of evolution that are taught between fifth and 10th grade in most public schools around America and then address it with a skit based video program that's great for homeschoolers, public school kids, who want to understand the, the the dialogue between evolution and creation. Then if you're 11th grade or higher, please go through our Seven Myths program where we take the top seven false teachings that your students are likely to encounter when they go away to, to college and address them. One by one, things like, you know, was Noah's flood real? Was it worldwide or local? Or the days of creation really days? Uh, Is our Genesis 1 and 2, two different accounts of creation? Did Moses really write the Torah? All these things were addressed in the seven myths program. Uh, Our our most popular book is called Answers to the Top 50 Questions about Genesis Creation and Noah's Flood. We work with a team of people to produce this book. Uh, Our ministry gets thousands of questions every year. We took the top 50 ones that we consistently got over and over again and developed a book surrounding those answers. And uh, most of these uh, topics will also link to videos that you guys can watch. So that book is also available free on our website for, for download. And we have about 120,000 people that have downloaded our mobile app. I think it's the leading creation app that you can buy on the Google store um, or, uh, or Apple uh, iTunes. And that will lead you into our YouTube videos, but it's got all kinds of topics in there about evolution theory, uh, human evolution, does science prove evolution, uh, plums into our, our leading videos there. So that's a great free mobile app to download. And, of course, the last thing here is our movie that will be coming out at the end of this year, uh, NoahsFlood.com. You can sign up there for email updates. We're working with the the producer and director of the last great film on this topic called Genesis Paradise Lost. His name's Ralph Stren. We're working with Ralph to produce this movie, and uh, we're co-producing it and uh, should be out in about a year, and we filmed that Answers in Genesis arc encounter, and we filmed at Liberty University, and it's going to include the most photorealistic evidences of Noah's flood that has ever been brought to the theater, so we're really excited about that. Uh, Fathom has picked it up, it should be in about 700 theaters uh, plus nationwide, and we have wow. a book already out on it that you can, uh, that you can buy or download, so Good stuff. It's all based on the theory that came out in the 1990s called catastrophic plate tectonics. Mm. So uh, highly advise you guys go there. So let's let's talk about dinosaurs real quick. So dinosaurs currently are used by the world, by the, the powers that be, uh, as a mechanism for teaching evolution in millions of years. It's those two things are really what's going on with dinosaurs. It's almost a bait and switch. Um, The, you know, God knows that our kids have a built in fascination towards large, majestic creatures, and the enemy has got this world wrapped around his finger and he's using that built in imagination and curiosity and the world is feeding it in with these, these mysterious creatures that somehow went extinct, they think, millions of years ago, and uh, to teach millions of years and evolution. And you can see it's really, really open. It's everywhere in your life throughout time, a 700-million-year history of life on Earth. You've got kids' books all over the place that talk about the Big Bang all the way up to dinosaurs, and it's pitched as one of the many uh, eons or eras of Earth history. And it's used to really carry the idea of millions of years, which is, of course, a myth. There are no millions of years. It just goes out book after book after book. These poor kids are being uh, enticed through their imagination, through their curiosity, and they lock into dinosaurs. There are some kids that will play these dinosaur games that come out, uh, role-play games or, or whatever, and they can tell you, what, what dinosaur it is and how old it was in the, dev- in the mm-hmm. evolutionary timeline. They're just being programmed in the, uh, this idea of millions of years. But I think dinosaurs are important because they, they relate to how we review or how we view two things, God's word and God's character. And I'll explain what we mean by that. So the question is, did God use a long, slow, clumsy, random murderous process to bring about life on earth through survival of the fittest plus random mutations? Or did he initially create a perfect world, lovingly give us free choice, and then we messed everything up? There's two completely different worldviews when it comes to dinosaurs and millions of years. Choice A is long, slow, random murderous process leads from dinosaur creatures to mammals to eventually us, or God creates a perfect world, creates land-dwelling creatures on day six, creates man at the very, very end of it, drew Eve from his side, and then he gave Adam two commissionings, name everything and take dominion everything and Adam messed up. The fall came into this earth and everything under his dominion fell. The dinosaurs starting eating each other. Humans probably went after dinosaurs. So what we have at the flood, which is about about 1700 years after creation, is a, is a snapshot of the height of the depravity that happened from mankind bringing the curse of sin and death into the world. So you can see right out of the gate, we have two very, very different worldviews. If we have a literal interpretation of Genesis, which is the one that that what we hold to, you have six days of creation, and God calls the earth and his creation good after every one of the six days, and on the end of the sixth day or the seventh day, he calls everything very good and then he commands everything to eat only green herbs he says to the animals and to the humans Only eat green things. And then we have the fall that comes in. And through the fall, death came into the world. Death was introduced into the world, along with thorns and thistles and pain and childbearing and the curse between men and women. That all came as a result of human sin. So death and suffering were brought into the world by Adam and Eve's uh, sin, not by God's initial perfect plan.
0: Dan, I have a question about that for you. Yeah, far away. You know, when you you were... um, going through this and figuring this out and you took that 90 days to do this research on this were you um was it primarily the theological um position because that's what you just explained was biblically um why you hold the position you do but was it primarily the theological evidence or was it primarily the scientific evidence or was it just a combination of both that caused you to change your mind
1: you know that's a great and very personal question i can explain it Honestly, in in two steps, what happened in my spirit when I heard the guy give really good evidence about dinosaurs walking with man is I really shifted. And a personal level to humble myself under God saying, wow, maybe these little homeschooler kids are right. Maybe I'm the one who's got it wrong. So I, I stepped from what I thought was a nine foot tall intellectual giant into a three foot child before the Lord. And I'm like, you know what, God, I give this thing might be true. So I humbled my disposition before the Lord. That was the first step. And then the second step was mostly scientific my 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 inquisitive process was driven by a scientific curiosity mm. for me that the theology was uh, was something that was woven into it and it, I think it maybe motivated my my inquisition my my my, my inquiry into all of this, because I'm like, gosh, yeah, I, theologically I do have a problem here, but what does the science say? And that's what was really driving me, I think, was, was what does the data say? What does the science say? So what was motivating me, I think at the time was I just had to figure it out for myself if it was true from an evidence standpoint.
0: So, so that's interesting to me because, um, essentially, um, you know, it sounds like you had never heard the actual scientific data that supported. Because today you you would say overwhelmingly that the science supports the biblical history, the six day creation, the six thousand year old history. Um, was it so? You just had never heard this this information before. Is that correct?
1: Not to the extent that I did that day when when this individual was going over dinosaur soft tissue. In everything. I, I would say that the, the world does a very good job job at obfuscating this evidence. There's not a lot of people that know about it now. It's getting out more and more and more, but I think the enemy does an extra special job at putting the hood on this evidence because it is so earth shattering. So whoever's on the call today, <laughs> great, great job because uh, th- this can shift people. It's that powerful.
0: Mm, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Keep going. Go ahead all right thank stuff. you
1: yeah, yeah great question yeah yeah feel free to to interrupt anytime i'm sure we can have all kinds of, of of fun uh sidebars here so now if we take a non-literal interpretation we would have creation and then millions of years of death suffering and bloodshed and at some point adam and eve are created now uh, secular scientists park that at between 300,000 years and 315,000 years some earlier some estimates are earlier but But we would say, you know, it just happened thousands of years ago. And then at some point after Adam and Eve, you have the fall. But what about all these millions of years of death, suffering and bloodshed with animals eating each other? You know, when I show when I talk with kids about this, this idea at, at cafes, I'll I'll pull up my cell phone and I'll say, hey, guys, let me show you a short video of a Komodo dragon eating a deer alive. And it's horrific. I can only last about five seconds of it. And I just say, you know, is is that how it was at the start when God called everything very good? Or did something happen? What is happening in your spirit right now? Does that feel like a very good earth where animals are supposed to be just eating the green herbs, but this deer sitting here screaming out of the top of its lungs as, as it gets munched alive? Something doesn't feel right, does it? And they're like, no, it just doesn't seem like it should be that way. And it's quite obvious death is a result of sin. And, and so you can't you really have all of that death and suffering because you, if you did before Adam and Eve were here to sin, you're calling that instance of a Komodo dragon eating a deer alive part of, part of God's originally designed good earth. I, that's not the kind of God I want to worship, and it's not the kind of God that revealed himself in the Bible. Now, you know, um, can I, can I ask you something
0: about that too? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because, you know, this, for me, this is blatantly clear. I, I I (sighs) look at this and I go, well, gosh, it couldn't be any more obvious uh, from scripture. And, but I've had conversations. um, I actually was at a conference once where um, I was speaking and um, Stephen Meyer happened to be speaking also who I have great respect for, but um, his view as well, as well as many other scientists like, um, Francis Collins and others is that, uh, death existed before, before, uh, Adam and Eve's original sin. And I guess my question is, is, um, how do they justify that theologically? Um, as far as you can tell, uh, um, because I can't imagine that they're not aware of what Romans teaches about this. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Well, they, they try to talk about, well, it was, uh, it was spiritual eternity or instead of, you know, they were spiritually going to live forever and physical death was always there, but you really can't have Adam and Eve standing on a mountain heap of the fossil record, death, sin, bl- bloodshed, suffering, cancer, carnivorism, all that stuff. And then God finally creates Adam and Eve. It also comes down to the principle of dominion. And I believe a proper, Review of scripture would show that Adam and Eve, they named everything, which was an exercise of authority over the animals. And Romans 8 says that the whole of creation groans under what? Under the weight of sin. So it's clear to me that something happened that was a domino effect to the dominion of everything under Adam and Eve. And that's when animals turned against each other. So some older will will try to compartmentalize it and say, well, there's spiritual death and then there's physical death. But, you know, knowing that the, the, the character of God and what the word says, the word says, why would God go out of the way to say, hey, he commanded the animals and he commanded humans only eat Fruit and vegetables. That's it. That's what you guys are supposed to eat. It's a command, right? In first in Genesis one, so something happened. A shift happened after that. And if the shift happened, when did it happen? Well, obviously, the commencement when Adam and Eve fell. It was cursed. God cursed animals. He cursed the ground. He cursed vegetation. He cursed the relationship between man and woman. He gave Eve. Pain and childbearing, and he says Adam's going to work by the sweat of his brow. It was a complete dominion-wide curse that mm. was the result of sin. So, for me, it's absolute butchery of Scripture to try to say anything else. I mean, that's just saying it like it is. You know, it's. Um, I, I think it's pretty hard to hold that, that position to start. You know, we'll say, well, there's physical death and spiritual death. I mean, you look at Romans, Romans five and First Corinthians fifteen. It's very, very clear that Adam jacked it up. And when he yeah. did, death came into the world, not just to him, but to the whole thing and all of creation's groaning under the weight of that sinful
0: choice. Okay, that great. Helps. Okay. Yeah, that's good.
1: And of course, you know, evolutionists will look at these thorns, then they'll say, well, that thorn is then a, a rock that's 200 million years old. We have thorns in the fossil record that predate man even being here. So that's another big theological and scientific problem. How in the world could you have thorns 200 million years before Homo sapiens supposedly arrived? So the whole thing's really jacked up if you don't just hold to a literal perspective of of Genesis. That would make the the result of the fall really to have no effect because you've got all this death, suffering, thorns, and thistles, and everything else in the fossil record before Adam and Eve were even here to bring it. And that would make death and suffering God's fault. And that's a pretty hard thing to stomach. So, okay. Yeah,
0: theologically, I, that just seems yeah. impossible to get around.
1: It, it to, to me, it does too. But I think I kind of learned this at the same time I was going through the scientific discovery of all the data, also supporting that. So, of course, man's word is that evolution is time plus death can lead to a shrew-like creature, to a quadruped, to a biped, to cavemen, eventually humans. And But God's word says, no, it's sin. Is what led to death. So two totally different views on death. Uh, evolution, Darwinism has death as its hero, which supposedly somehow propels vertical evolution up up the row. But the Bible's like, no, death is an enemy. It didn't used to be this way, and you guys are at fault for bringing it here. So when your grandma passes away from whatever brings her into the grave, that's the result of Adam's cascading effect of sin. Not God's fault, you can blame our, our first parents for that. So it totally changes your worldview and how you see God uh, and, uh, and the fossil record. So you really can't have millions of years of death, disease, suffering, bloodshed, leading to man's existence. No, rather we had everything was perfect and sin is what brought death. Okay, so if we do hold to that timeline and look at the, the, the biblical timeline, we have about 6,000 years of history. Uh, dinosaurs are created on day six, we have the fallen corruption, um, then we have about 1656 years until the flood, then at the flood event, a secular uh, paleontologists estimate that there's about a thousand dinosaur species, but if you kick it up to the family level, it's more about like 85 kinds or 80 kind dino, uh, kinds of dinosaurs at the family level. So that's all that would have had to be brought on Noah's Ark. Just about 85 dinosaur uh, kinds at the family level. Then if they, after they get off of the Ark, after the 371 day long flood, dinosaurs are extremely rare. They're hunted, they're hungry. They're not equipped for the post-flood world and they rapidly move into extinction. I think there's a couple of sets are varieties of dinosaurs that probably lived on to the the mid-ages i I think theropods and pterosaurs make a pretty strong argument for the thunderbirds that they saw on a lot of the dinosaur accounts that went on in the bc times right before christ um and we'll talk a little bit about that more later when we get to the dragon connection but after the flood World, was, world version number two was a harsher climate. We have mass extinctions. We have the Ice Age going on. They're being hunted by man. And they were they were really designed for a green, lush, tropical climate. And now we're talking about Ice Ages. So most of the dinosaurs went extinct quickly after the, the flood. Um,
0: so along those same lines, um, would you say that during that time, there were a lot of um, other animals that also went extinct? Or was it primarily Uh, dinosaurs that went extinct.
1: I would say before the flood or before the ice age and up to the ice age, there was probably a lot of rapid dinosaur extinction going on. Then, of course, we have the ice age that started about 100 years after the flood and lasted for about 900 years after the flood. So about a thousand year period there where we had a lot of ice age related flooding that of course led to the extinction of all the ice age related uh, creatures that we would put in the Cenozoic and, and in, in that, in that, in those strata. So, so um, uh,
0: yeah, I have another question here. Sorry to, for all the questions. That's all right. <laughs> no fire away. I love it. Um, so, you know um, this is an interesting, uh, one of my students brought this up and uh, thanks Garrett for this question that I'm curious about too is You know, we have these gigantic meteorite um, sites on Earth. It looks like they're they're giant impact craters. Um, One of them is down at the Yucatan. And, uh, you know, people say there's this theory that dinosaurs were wiped out by the the, uh, asteroid that hit and whatever the case, it it affected the environment and that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Um, Does uh, the meteorite, these meteorites that we see, the, the impact craters, Does this play any role in biblical history that's related to the flood? As far as you know, Um, I don't I don't think the Bible speaks much about that. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, here's a a tongue twister for you by way of an answer. When the flood happened, God rained wreck upon the earth like we can't even imagine. And when I read in the one verse, that snagged me in Genesis six. I believe it says that God says to man, I will destroy them humanity with the earth and i'm like whoa if people could even understand what that one sentence means god Mm -hmm. says i'm going to turn the earth into a wrecking machine for corrupt humanity and animals and that's a terrifying verse and i'm going to show you exactly how that went down now back to the the asteroids um there's a good chance that there were a few dozen asteroids that were involved in the commencement of the flood that possibly could have triggered Genesis 7, 11, but the fountains of the great deep bursting forth Mm -hmm. because God cracked the earth, the crust of the earth, like an eggshell. And if you find craters, and there are a few dozen of them that are in pre-flood layers, those Mm -hmm. probably happen at the commencement of the flood. The Chicxulub asteroid in the Yucatan Peninsula is a candidate for that. Personally, I think a good candidate because of the tektites that they find in North Dakota, which are these little glass-like BB-sized droplets that were raining down from heaven that were likely from an asteroid strike. I don't believe, of course, that the Chicxulub asteroid is a reason for the dinosaur extinction. I think it might have been involved around the same period. But most of the asteroid uh, crater record that we have is post-flood. Okay. But some okay. of that is, pu- is, is pre-flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Andrew Snelling has done an article on that. If you just go to searchcreation.org, you'll probably find it.
0: Great. Okay. Thank Good. you.
1: Good. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to go real quickly past this part. I'm just going to speed up through 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 some of this. We've all probably heard about Behemoth in Job chapter 40. We've got a, a YouTube video on this, but Job chapter 40 gives out 13 or 14 different characteristics about this creature called behemoth and god says you know what strength it has in its loins what power in its stomach muscles and the sinews of its thighs are are closely knit and its bones are just like beams of bronze and its ribs are like rods of iron it's got a tail that sways like a, a cedar tree the the first giveaway to this being a sauropod dinosaur is just that one sentence that's really all we need there when god says in the hebrew Behemoth ranks first among the works of God. The word that we translate from the Hebrew is chief. God says of this creature, it's the chief of all of my created works. And here we have, you know, a 130 foot long sauropod dinosaur that can weigh upward of 80 tons. And God describes 13 characteristics about it. Here they are. God says, first, it was made along with man, because God tells Job, consider behemoth, which I made along with you, like mm. on the same sixth day of creation. Yeah, yeah. It eats grass. It's got strength in its st- hips and stomach muscles. Well, come on, God, because lots of animals have hips, ha- have strength in their, in their hips and stomach muscles. Why is God pointing this out of a behemoth? It's got a tail that sways like a cedar tree. Well, not too many other animals can do that besides a, a behemoth, a sauropod dinosaur. It goes on and on and on. And these characteristics perfectly fit a sauropod. They don't fit a hippo and they don't really fit a croc. So we believe firmly that God is describing the chief, the chief of of all of his works as as behemoth as a sauropod dinosaur here's how large their legs can get that's the chief of god's work look how massive that thigh bone is uh there is its footprint the largest footprint in the world look how that thing could stomp on a man just incredibly large feet um, here's when you look at its amazing design, there's just a sauropod leg, but just notice the chief engineer and how he did that. You've got a hip structure that goes to a powerful femur, which is hollowed out by the way, just like the Bible says, its legs are like tubes of bronze. It's literally like a tube. It's got a hard enamel casing and a soft marrow on the inside. Then it goes from one to two to several to several. So look at that weight distribution engineering that's going on there. You have one huge massive femur, then it goes and it distributes the load to two bones and then to four or five bones and then to all the the phalanges there that distributes the load in a chief engineering way. That would Mm -hmm. take a creative God to make that weight distribution system for an 80 ton animal. Just look at that design feet. I mean, here we have a diplodocus. Uh, and when you zoom in on its neck, you have these things called chevron bones that hang below uh, its neck. Do you know these chevron bones here are connecting points for muscles and tendons and and ligaments. And without these unique swiveling chevron bones, it would bend over to get a a drink and fold its neck in half and choke. It couldn't breathe. It couldn't swallow. It couldn't drink. It couldn't eat. Amazing, amazing design with these double beamed chevron bones. And it gets even more amazing. Experts that have studied this say, you know what? It's kind of like a construction cable. The only way you can have this huge, long neck going out here is with all these supporting ligaments and these chevron bones. It's an amazing design system. And some they've applied some engineering principles to this creature. This guy, um, Dr. Waddell, Matthew Waddell, has studied these sauropods for decades, probably. He's an expert on it. He's got a leading book out on it. He says, you know what? There's no way you could have a long neck, but for a long tail, and but for a long tail, you can't have a long neck mm. because you need the, a compressive loading and tension loading to offset itself at the same, at the same uh, time. So it's fascinating. This is how they d- design and engineer bridges. For a suspension bridge to stand there, you need pushing and pulling forces going against each other to counterbalance e- each other out. And whoever designed this behemoth knows those suspension bridge engineering principles, tension loading, compressive loading. It's fascinating how you've had this long creature even get around and, and walk like it is. So it's got these four and a half foot long vertebrae. It's got dozens and dozens of them. And the higher you go up in its neck, the more and more pneumatic they get. They're like honeycomb. They're filled with air. So you can see this vertebrae here on, on the left of your screen. And you see how it's got the hardened enamel on the outside. It's got a shell casing on the inside there with all the ribbing that goes on. And as I fly in the yellow parts here, all of that is air they're all air wow. pockets so by the time you get up to the top you've got a vertebrae that's like styrofoam super <laughs> super light compared to the vertebrae that are at the base so there's a lot of engineering that went into this you can't just say oh evolution's pretty smart millions of years of natural selection just just worked all this stuff out no this thing was made as it was from the start and there's not a lot of transitions that evolutionists can point to so just, uh, just an amazing creature. And now we've even found recently with respect to this verse that he moves his tail like a cedar tree. Uh, the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. So Dr. Winnell has done studies on the connecting points of the muscles and the tendons of this creature's tail and has determined based upon where it connected to the back of the femur, that it necessarily had to sway its tail as it walked. They don't ever find sauropod drag marks in the sediment mark. When they look for for trackways, they find plenty of plenty of footprints, but no drag marks of the tail. And that's because it was swaying its tail just like a cedar tree as it's walking around. So fascinating, fascinating design. So the Bible has even, even proven out these details.
0: That is, so now, that is really interesting.
1: Isn't that cool? It's like God knew what he was what he was doing there. So let's talk next about the flood and dinosaur extinction you know genesis uh, seven says that all flesh died that moved on the earth birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man all whose nostril and whose os- nostrils were the breath of life the spirit of life uh, all that were around were dry land died so amazing catastrophic flood Another key verse, I just want to point out this one here, Genesis seven eleven reads like a real history book. Uh, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the second month, the 17th day of the month, on the same day were all of the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So the key here is that the flood started on the ocean floor. And I want to show what that might have looked like. It's based upon what these guys came up with in the 1990s. This article is a little bit later, but they framed this theory in the 1990s. Panel of six PhD smart guys uh, came up with the theory of catastrophic plate tectonics. You're going to see this in our movie uh, later. But here's what it might have looked like. As you have oceanic rifting going on, bursting up with critically heated water called superheated water, when these linear rifts bursting up and it's going to breathe after wave of tsunamis up onto land and that's exactly how the dinosaurian fossil record is found today they're found buried in layers that were brought up by tsunamis. So we believe that happened when a Pangea-like formation was split apart rapidly, where the fountains of the Great Deep broke open. We have a 40,000-mile linear rift system, the oceanic rift system that goes around the world about 1.6 times. The continents were broken apart, and they moved apart at a pace of about five miles per hour during the first 150 days of the flood until God stopped the fountains of the great deep and that God says he shut it off about, about day 150. So for the first 150 days, we have catastrophic rifting as the Pangea like formation is being broken apart. You can see these rift systems today. They encircle the globe almost two times. They're all over the place. And that's what the Bible says or means when it says all of the fountains on the same day broke open.
0: So Dan, um, i've got several questions here that this is all very very interesting um yeah you're giving you're giving a lot of um very factual uh details um and i've read some other creation um uh scientific uh studies looking at the physics behind the flood so for example you said the tectonic plates were moving at about five miles per hour um where how how is that conclusion drawn how how can you um, make such a, a concrete statement about something that happened in the past. Um, and that seems so, uh, yeah. fantastic.
1: Okay. Well, I I've got some incredible, incredible proof, uh, that, that can substantiate that. And it's quite simple. You can find one of the two proofs in today's, you know, high school or college textbooks dealing with bullet plate tectonics. And the first one is fossil correlation. You can find the same creatures buried on matching, halves of these continents as they were broken apart and the key is they're found buried in the mud that was responsible for killing them but i think the number one for me at least in the the one that's the most terrifying is the volcanic ash and the only way that you can generate rapid the the rapid amounts of ash that were dispersed during the first 150 days of the flood is by having catastrophic runaway subduction it can't be slow and gradual like what we have today there was a rift system in southern california on the eastern side of california called the independence Dyke swarm it was we, we can't even i, I threw out these numbers you can't even imagine what we're talking about here 375 mile linear volcano With all these linear fissures that were opening up. And secular geologists say, yep, we're pretty sure that that linear rift system output 4,000 cubic miles of ash. Now, Mount St. Helens in the 1980s covered three states with ash and black skies. Well, mainly only Washington with ash, but three states with black skies. And it was like a quarter of one cubic mile of ash. Now, the Independence Dyke swarmed during the flood 4,000 cubic miles of ash, and it blew ash all the way over and blanketed Utah, I mean, in the entire Midwestern region. And the only way you can have a volcanic system that angry producing that much ash is something had to be going on under the crust to drive that much volcanism, and it was the subducting plates and they could have been happening slow. Whatever was happening was happening so fast because the dinosaurs are buried in three products, mud, sand, and ash. You dig up the dinosaurs in Utah and ask the experts are: what do you find them in there? Oh, we find them in ash. Oh, we find them in mud. We find them in sand or sometimes all three. So the Adventist Dike swarm bellowed out and covered half of America in ash and the dinosaurs are buried in the ash. So if you're starting to see the picture here, you've got dinosaurs that are killed in ash happened rapidly. It's a snapshot. It was a species wide extinction. All the hadrosaurs bought it. All the stegosaurus bought it. All the T-Rex gone. Buried in this in these ash heaps, along with mud and sand, and it had to happen rapidly because these conveyor belts were diving underneath the nor- North America. It's called the Farallon Plate that produced all of this, you know, the, this, um, this subduction-related volcanism that's coming up out of Southern California, blowing up 4,000 cubic miles of ash, falling down and blanketing the middle of America.
0: So, so along those... Yeah, have, have along- quick. So along those same lines um, you keep referencing that the dinosaurs were covered but but this includes all animals and this includes people too is that right? It
1: includes people but but most people who have studied this uh, this region, the uh, like the Morrison formation that encompasses about 13, 14 states in the middle of America they were their own little ecosystem. Not a lot of humans, if any humans were in that area and the dinosaurs were in there and all kinds of different species were in, the, in, in that area, but it was its own little habitat with mostly dinosaur types of creatures living in it when they were buried by the mud, sand and ash.
0: And is there, is there a reason for that? I mean, um, there would still be a, quite a few people, amount of people on earth at that point in time based on, you know, population growth um is there any thoughts about that or is that just uh the people you know all kind of group together and then the animals you know group together is that what was going on or what what are your thoughts there
1: there is uh there's there's one word that explains the phenomenon but i think we have it's like a 25 minute video we just did it about six months ago that that answers the question very directly why don't we find humans buried with dinosaurs Mm. 25 minute video check it out on our on our youtube channel but the big the big explanation just takes a single word, time. Humans were smart and they had time. Mm. When, when, If you're a smart human, you're, you're not living in the swamp lowlands like the Jurassic layers where we find all these dinosaurs hanging out there with 40-foot crocodiles that are capable of eating you. You're not living in the marshlands. You're not living in the lowlands. You're not living in the Sahara areas. You're, you're living in the uplands. That's probably where humans were living, the glacial, where the what's called the the shield area, like up in Canada. You're living in the highlands, and when you're living up there, you feel earthquakes like you've never felt before in your life. You look down at the marshes and the lowlands, you're like, oh my gosh, that entire 100-foot region just got swamped in water. What in the world is going on? I'm getting out of here. And they went high, and they built crafts. Mm. They have 150 days as the water, the the, the water didn't zenith until day 150. That's what's called the Zuni layers. And so humans had 150 days, not to mention how it might've been like maybe before the flood, but 150, at least 150 days as they're seeing the water rise and these tsunamis come in, retreat, come in, retreat. So how far can humans travel in 150 days? Mm. You know, hundreds of miles, So they're getting away from where this stuff is going. So by the time they're finally engulfed by the flood, they float, bloat, and decay, and they're dissolved, and they're gone. They just are obliterated. Remember Mm. God's promise, I will destroy them with the earth. Mm. And he did exactly what he said. They're wiped out. They're obliterated. So humans were the smart ones. They they had lots of time. They could wait till the very very end, trying to get away, trying to build makeshift crafts, hold on to logs, whatever they can, go into the highest lands possible, and then they they lose all hope when they're washed away and drown.
0: Um. Thanks, Dan, for answering that question. That's a great yeah. answer. So, uh, I feel like we could talk about this for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, so, for those of you listening, uh, my guest today is Jan Biddle, and. Um, and his website, genesisapologetics.com. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about this, um, you can check it out there. He's got a, a, a conference coming up March 4th here in California. If you're if you're uh, local in Southern California, um, there's an opportunity to check that out. Uh, many, many resources. Um, Dan, we don't have too much time left, but I had a, a couple of quick questions if you don't mind. Yeah, fire um, away. So, so um, in regards to the best evidences you have as to dinosaurs and people living side by side, Uh, what do you feel is some of the most compelling evidence that dinosaurs and people lived at the same time? I mean, the evolutionary um, worldview um, says that dinosaurs went extinct far before humans even came into existence and there should be no crossover. Um, what what do you feel is some of the most compelling evidence that dinosaurs and people actually were living on Earth at the same time?
1: So I I actually think that a lot of the dinosaurs. So when you ask the question that you asked, now we're really focusing on the post flood experiences between dinosaurs and humans. And if you look at just Britain, for example, Britain alone has. 81 historical legends and myths about dragons walking with man dragons being with man. That's a lot for just one place. The Chinese have a record, the native Americans, almost all major groups have got all kinds of dinosaur like stories and legends that that go on. Most people groups around the world have their own independent dragon myths and legends. Mm. But the thing is they're correlated. They sound similar. They're talking about similar creatures or drawing similar creatures or describing similar creatures that look a lot like theropod dinosaurs and pterosaurs which are the two most likely candidates to go on and live hundreds and hundreds of years after the flood so i believe that most of those legends and myths are hogwash they're figments of people imagination they're crazy stories they, they want people wanting to get popular uh just fun lies fairy tales old wives tales however whatever you want to call them But when you start drilling into some of them, because I reviewed dozens of original accounts of of these things, you're like, wait a second, how in the world did that guy just describe something with two hands coming out just like this it sounds like an awful lot like a velociraptor and you've got marco polo and and, and (laughs) anathis kircher you've got all these six or seven major popular historians marco polo and others that have credible histories that we rely upon for teaching history classes today but they also talked about dragons and that looked just like dinosaurs so I think a lot of the stories are exaggerations or or true myths or just legends but I think some of them are not and there's enough of the some of them that really make an ironclad case for me because you've got drawings and myths and legends you've got military accounts you've got cave drawings you've got carvings you've got oral traditions, you've got written traditions. It's in too many places in too many cultures all around the world for the whole thing not to be true. Dragons mm-hmm. are a phenomenon in every in every culture. But for me, I found about a dozen dragon stories that I just couldn't explain away as myth. They, they really bite you when you dig in deep to them. You're like, oh my gosh, this thing's got providence to it. It's got credibility to it. Marco Polo is a good one. Uh, Alexander the Great has got a military account of his men becking up what looked to be like theropod dinosaurs in the back of a cave and killing them all. And his men were terrified over it. I mean, and there, they, there was 120 foot uh, dragon skin that they hung in the Roman Senate, you know, 2000 wow. years ago. So there's just way too many of these things going on for you to dismiss the whole thing.
0: If somebody wanted to get a hold of that, if uh, one of our listeners ended up wanting to do more research on that, do you have any recommendations? Do you have any resources um, where they could look into those stories more? Because that sounds so yeah. compelling. Uh, I,
1: I, I put some real good ones in our arc, the arc in the darkness book, uh, which you can get on Amazon or through our website is the the book that's going to be a companion book to go along with the movie. But the leading book to get um, is Vance Nelson's work called Dragons. And he's okay. done a lot of research. He spent probably hundreds of thousands of dollars really going around the entire globe and collecting the most credible accounts, stories, pictures, drawings, all that stuff of, of dragons. I think it's just called uh, Dragons is, I believe, the, the name of the book.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. Well, Dan, uh, thank you so much for being on the program. We are, we we've gone a little bit over, but, uh, it's definitely worth it. So, uh, I feel like again, like there's so much more we could talk about. Um, if you feel (laughs) the same way and you're listening, um, please feel free, free to reach out to Dan. Um, his ministry is fantastic. Like you said, he's got all kinds of resources. They've got an app with information, makes it super easy to share with your friends and family members who might be skeptics or maybe are like Dan and never even heard this information before. And all it takes is, um, you know, getting a a little bit of this before they go, wait a second, I I think I need to look into this a little bit more and uh, crack the door of their heart and give them an opportunity to um, really dig in here and And uh, honestly, I think the evidence is overwhelming that the biblical history is real history and um, everything the Bible says is 100 percent true. Um, So uh, thanks again for being here. And
1: um, amen to that. You're welcome. Anytime. I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, um if you've uh listening my website's educateforlife.org, we've got tons of good shows coming up. We've got an expert on scripture memorization coming up in a, a couple of weeks um uh, which uh you know, that's difficult for a lot of people, but this guy's an expert on it and he'll help give you some good advice and guidance on how to get that done. And then also, we have Jason Lyle coming up talking about the James Webb Telescope and the new discoveries there. Um uh Uh, in cosmology that is um, giving evidence for the truth of God's word also. So hope you can join us in the future. Thanks a lot for being here and we will see you next time.